0: Welcome to the Leadership Series on the Sofa with Angie. I'm Angie Vo, the founder and CEO of Women in Tech Forum, and I'm joined here today by Casey Lord, who is the Product Director at Monzo Bank. Casey, it's an absolute pleasure to chat to you today. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Angie. Thanks so much for inviting me. Really happy to be here. Thank you. So Casey, you've had uh, a really impressive career across the world of tech, fintech, um, all over the world, sort of Silicon Valley, South Asia, Southeast Asia, and now in the UK. I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, your background. Yeah, sure. Um, Thank you.
1: That was a really kind introduction. So uh, my whole career has been devoted to Um, essentially like socially responsible finance um, which sounds maybe a little bit a bit nerdy and a bit niche, but basically what i 'm really interested in is how do you make money work better for people, um, whether that's to do with people being excluded from the financial system, maybe because they can't access a bank account or it could be that they do have a bank account, but maybe they earn less or have less saved up and therefore they can't access the sorts of products that a, sort of a different audience would be able to access. Um, So these kinds of problems, I find really frustrating and therefore really motivating. And that's what my whole career has been about. Um, When I graduated from uni, I started working in um, sort of this social enterprise kind of sector. So looking at um, social impact investing. um, So essentially making loans and investments in social purpose organizations. Um, You mentioned the kind of international piece. I lived in India for a year where I worked in microfinance as well, looking at savings and and credit and insurance. But actually, most of my career has been in tech. So um, after about five years of of work experience, I decided to, to to do an MBA. So I moved to the US. I went to business school in the US, and that's where I got involved in tech. And since then, so over the last kind of nine or 10 years, I've worked for startups and scale-ups, which have all been fintech organizations that are looking to, uh, yeah, do money, do finance in a better way.
0: I love that. What uh, an impressive sort of career journey all over the world. Um so you've held a variety of different um roles uh, across sort of the the whole sort of fintech arena um, how did you transition into the world of sort of product and 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 into your role as product director at Monzo bank yeah it's, it's
1: it's a good question i think it's worth covering because it's pretty rare that people go straight into product out of uni that's not really a well trodden path most product managers, we're doing something else first, which is great actually, because that means that as a community, product people are are really diverse and, and we come in kind of different flavors um for me the decision that I made first was around industry so as I mentioned I'd been working in sort of social impact investing which was a a wonderful but quite a slow environment and I knew I wanted something much faster so I knew I wanted to get involved in tech and fintech was absolutely the, the right place for me I then just had to figure out well where's the right place for me to slot in I knew that that would be a commercial-focused role, so I wasn't going to retrain to be an engineer, for example. Um, So I looked at product, I looked at marketing, I looked at a couple of other roles. And to be honest with you, it was a case of me speaking to a lot of people, so lots and lots of networking to try and understand what do these roles look like day to day, what are the kind of challenges that people are working on and how do I feel about those challenges? Do I find them interesting? Do I find them motivating? And then what's the kind of skill set that I think I could acquire realistically to actually do these roles? And I I was realistic. I knew I wouldn't just jump into these jobs, you know, and that's part of the reason I wanted to go back to uni and and, um, do a master's in in business was to like get those skills. Product essentially um, seems like a sweet spot because it was around problem solving, very, very customer focused. And I knew that me having a slightly non-traditional background would be seen as an asset, not something that would hold me back. Um, it wasn't easy to get in. Um, I definitely networked my way into PayPal, which is where I first started. I started as an intern. I had to lobby for that position. Like I, I created a ho- I created a little sales pitch basically, and, and really had to like sort of position why I was the right person for that role. But essentially, you know, was able to get it in the end. Um, and then I set up a startup with some friends. And although that's quite a risky path. Um, if you have experience as an entrepreneur in general, you're probably going to make quite a good product manager. So from there, it was it's been quite smooth sailing in terms of how I've got into Monzo. So um, fairly soon after being a PM, I started to kind of rise in seniority a little bit. Um, I'm really motivated by teams and building organizations. So that's a kind of role that I really love. Um, and then, yeah, landed at Monzo last year as yeah, just as a kind of culmination of all of that experience, I think.
0: That's a, a really impressive uh, career journey as well, moving from sort of scale-ups to, you know, being an entrepreneur and now into Monzo. Um, so as a product director, I um I know you're you're hiring for, for lots of different roles right now. What sort of skill sets do you look for when you're hiring into product-related roles at Monzo?
1: Yeah, okay. So The first thing to say is that um, Monzo, at the moment at least, uh, exclusively hires experienced product managers. Um, So usually we're looking for kind of, I'd say minimum four to five years of experience. There are some exceptions to that, but as as a general rule, that's what we're looking for. And within that, what we normally look for is experience in high growth consumer tech. There's lots and lots of skills that a PM is expected to have if they've worked in that environment. I won't list all of those things um, because people I think who have done that job will know what they are. What I will perhaps go into is maybe what's a little bit different about the sorts of product managers that we look for at Monzo. Um, There's something around depth of thought, which I think is quite striking about the PMs that we have at at Monzo. The size of the company Um, combined with the fact that we've got really incredible uh, sort of designers, user researchers, data analysts, engineers, means that the product manager role is quite strategic at Monzo, more so than any other company I've worked. So for someone to do that role really well, what we're looking for is someone who has a depth of thought around a problem area. So someone who's willing to go deep into things like customer needs and customer behavior. It could be industry trends that you're looking at, but essentially gathering lots of signals from a diverse range of data sources and pulling all of these things together and creating what we call like a view of the world. We also look for someone who's very strong at communication, particularly written communication, as a way of kind of sharing with their teams, like this is my view of the world. And then eventually, of course, like here's what I think we should do. Here's what we should build, design, whatever it might be. Um, But compared to other places, that's something that I think is quite special about our product managers. Another thing I would add is is the ability to lead a team. So someone who's seen as a really um, sort of um, convincing leader someone who's able to tell a story and and bring their team along with them to kind of follow that story and and follow that vision for how they see a product evolving over time. Um, And customer-centric, which isn't unique to Monzo. You know, I think like every startup and every scale-up says they're customer-centric. But what's really lovely about working at Monzo is that everybody cares very deeply about the customer and the mission we've got to make money work for everyone.
0: Excellent. Thank you. It sounds like a, a very exciting organization and product team to join. So the roles at uh, Monzo in the area of product management sound really exciting and very strategic. And I can certainly see why you love what you do. Um, you talked about uh, the importance of networking in uh, your career development. Um, obviously, for people, you know, midway through their career, they've been hit with sort of COVID and home working. How important is it to build out your network um, in your in sort of supporting your ongoing career development?
1: I honestly, I I, I think it's incredibly useful. Um, one of the things I've learned as I've been able to get more senior in my career is that my network actually is incredibly useful, both in terms of securing really exciting roles, but also as a kind of support system once I'm in those roles. Um, One of the things that I've learned is I used to have a bit of a misconception that building your network meant meeting lots of people. That's kind of how I used to think about it. So I thought that networking was basically going to events, you know, and trying to kind of walk up to strangers and, and have a little chat and maybe reach out to people on LinkedIn and ask for a coffee chat, all, this, all that sort of stuff. And that is that is really important. I think that's probably the best starting place as well. But actually, it's, it's not enough. That's what I've realized over time. It's very much about breadth and depth. So go to the events, you know, get to know dozens of people, but then you have to build those relationships. And that's the bit where um, I've learned quite a lot over the last sort of five to 10 years. Some of the, the, the ways that I've found quite successful to do that first of all is making sure that you have opportunities to see those same people again. So you've been to an event and you've found kind of, you know, three people that you got on well with and you had a good conversation see if you can get something in the diary with those people before you leave that event, because it's actually going to be a lot more awkward to try and do that afterwards. So just take out your phone. It's really not that hard, you know, swap numbers, not email addresses. I'll come to that in a sec and just see if you can find an opportunity probably to have like a 30 minute call, right? Do it over breakfast. People are normally available then just, just get those in. So being a bit proactive about making things recurring. The second tip I've got is to create groups, So one of the things I've learned is that people tend to have a higher commitment to attending a group call rather than a one-on-one call or a one-on-one meeting. So I have now created these little clusters of people who I try to speak with about once a month. And we normally have a particular topic that we'll talk about, but, you know, we don't always, sometimes we just kind of have a catch up. And then my third tip, I mentioned swap numbers, not email addresses, So I think that the the, the channel that you use, so the method of communication sends quite a strong signal about the type of relationship that you expect or hope to have with this person. If you swap email addresses or LinkedIn profiles, the signal I think that sends is, you know, I see you as an acquaintance along with the other like thousands of people that I've got in my LinkedIn uh, group. If you send a phone number, it kind of sends a signal that maybe you're looking for something a little bit a little bit of a deeper connection perhaps. So I use WhatsApp. I just, for those little clusters I mentioned, I just have a WhatsApp group for those things. And it just means that the conversation ends up being more casual, but also more regular, more, more kind of chatty, you know, the kind of conversation that you'd have with your colleagues, which I think is sort of what I'm, I'm striving to have, like a, a more relaxed, helpful conversation.
0: They're fantastic tips actually and uh, it's interesting because I've used LinkedIn uh, primarily to connect with people at events but actually more recently we've set up different WhatsApp groups uh, and it's a lot more engaging, free-flowing, knowledge sharing and it continues that conversation as you said in a much more informal way Uh, so, so thank you for sharing those great tips. Um, And my final question is, um, you know, you're very uh, skilled at negotiating um, and you're also a mentor to others um, who are looking to negotiate an outcome for themselves, whether that's a pay rise, promotion. I'd love to hear more about your sort of strategies for success uh, in the areas of negotiation. Hmm, Okay, so, yeah, this is something
1: I feel really strongly about, um, partly because I used to be so terrible at it, just really lacking confidence and preparation. Um, And I've been really lucky that over the years, I've I've had people sort of teach me how to do it better. And it's really helped me along the way. So super happy to, to share some tips with others the first thing i would say is that it's it's a science as well as an art and there's lots and lots of tips that i can share um i will try and keep it brief <laughs> and just share a couple of really key takeaways and then you know if people want to follow up with me that they can uh, they can find me the first thing i'll say is that um it's all about the prep like 90% of the success of a negotiation is down to the The quality of the preparation you do in advance of a conversation. So I'd say like 90% of the effort should go into preparing for that conversation. Let's say compensation negotiation, right? So it's probably a conversation with your with your boss. 90% of your effort should go into preparing for that conversation. And then 10% is actually going to be for the conversation itself. So what are you going to do with that 90% of, of your efforts? First of all, do your homework. The outcome of that is, is data points. And there's different types of data points you need. Of course, you need some about you know your success, the impact you've had, and, and you'll sort of curate a list of bullet points probably that you think will resonate really well with your boss, ideally things that they've already seen, but also external data points. It's really not that difficult to get salary benchmarking data. You just have to dig it out. You know, it's, it's not a five minute Google. It's probably more like an hour's Google. If you can't find something, go and ask people. The best people to ask are recruiters. Recruiters, by definition, love chatting to people and building their network. Next time a recruiter reaches out to you about a job, write back and say, oh, I'm not looking now or whatever your situation is. But actually, I've got some questions for you jump on a call with them and ask them what's the going rate for for my job or what's the going rate for the job that I'm trying to get to and do this with a couple of people. It really won't take you that long and you will get the freshest benchmarking data that you could possibly get. So that's like a a really, really good tip that I found. And then finally, as you're just like kind of preparing your notes for that conversation with your boss, write down a range of outcomes So you're looking for the minimum compensation that you would be happy with and then you're looking for your kind of like your uh, let's say your, your target compensation that you would really love to have and then you're probably going to have a higher figure or set of figures as well and just look at those three figures or three packages and ask yourself what do i want to ask for first Like, where am i going to start the conversation If you're in tech, bear in mind that compensation is not just cash. It's not just salary. You've got other bits and bobs. Think about what's important to you. Equity can be very, very significant. Maybe it's flexible working. Maybe you want a couple more days holiday. Maybe you want to be able to leave at five o'clock sharp because you've got some commitments in your evening. Like write all of that stuff down and put it all on the table. Like all of that should be part of the compensation conversation conversation because often organizations will have strict salary bans that they can't go outside of, but they won't have such strict bans on things like equity or flexible working. It's much easier for them to say yes to those things than salary oftentimes. So it's worth putting that on the table because I think it's more likely that you'll get a sort of better and well-balanced outcome.
0: What fantastic advice. Thank you. And uh, I love the the tip about speaking to recruiters and knowing your worth and knowing your value in in the marketplace and being flexible on what you're looking for as well. It's it's not just salary, as you said, it's the entire package and making it work for you wherever you are in, in your own sort of career journey, but also life journey as well. Casey, it's been an absolute delight speaking to you today. Thank you so much for sharing all of your advice and practical strategies. Um, So thank you once again for joining me on the sofa today. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.